everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree, but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your peanut gallery today is made up of Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 152, interview with Stephen Wise. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me on here. Oh, it's a delight. Karen, you tell me that you met Stephen uh, taking David Gerald's online writing course. Is that correct? Yes, that is where we met. <laughs> Fantastic. And Stephen, I was looking over your website. You have done a lot of interesting things. Oh, thank you. I My favorite, I have to jump right in because I am a great big old Batman fan. <laughs> so <laughs> I watched and really, really enjoyed your Batman Dark Knight audio drama. On oh, great. YouTube. Thank you. Now, bear in mind that the people who produced that took the script that Lee Shapiro and I wrote, and then they adapted it and they kind of ran with it and added all the sound effects and everything. But at its core, yeah, they used our our script for the basis of that. It was, it was a movie script to start with, yeah? Yes, it was. It's kind of a long story, so I'll try to try to keep it as concise as possible. But yeah, way back, way back uh, when Batman and Robin came out. So we're talking about like two decades ago. We had a co-writer, Lee Shapiro, and the two of us had written several screenplays together. And we were traveling out to Los Angeles pitching. And we had a meeting with Warner Brothers. Well, shortly thereafter, I forced Lee to watch Batman and Robin, which was just the absolute worst movie. And the two of us just... In fact, we had to stop and rewind the video a few times because just we didn't couldn't believe what we were seeing. And we just said, you know, we can come up with something better than that. And well, we came up with a story and we called our contact at Warner Brothers and pitched it. And it elevated to the vice president of uh, production at the time. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Write it. And so we did a couple drafts, sent it off to him. Well, in the process, he left the company. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Batman and Robin ended up having a serious backlash. So they did not know what they were going to do with, with the Batman franchise at the time. And we went round and round with them for like a solid two years. And they finally, we got a call from the the VP who had taken over for him. He just, he said, you know, we, we decided to go a different direction. And yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, but I mean, it was just a little bit frustrating because it was like, ah, you know, come on, do this. But when they said that they were going to do an adaptation of Frank Miller's Year One, uh, the, you know, the graphic novel, yeah, Miller was co-writing it with Darren Aronofsky, who was going to direct it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Sure. Pass on our script so they can, you can do that one. Well, yeah. apparently Frank and Darren... Uh, wrote something that was completely different than the source material, and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers didn't like it, and they fired him and oh, went on to wow. other projects. Fired before. Frank Miller. Hold on a second. I want to drink that in for a long moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this eventually turned into an audio production. Yes, um, and I apologize. I don't have the name of the the group. Um, That's okay. Me, but yeah, just uh, no. I, I was curious. Were there any sort of licensing issues or difficulties in producing a Batman thing outside the obvious franchise? Well, uh, here again, I wasn't involved with that audio production. Um, They just kind of, 
help themselves to it. <laughs> well, which, you know, I mean, we could have said, hey, uh, don't do that, you know, but because it, it was our work, yeah. but it's owned by Warner Brothers as far as the, the copyright of yeah. characters. So it is kind of complicated that, yep. and I fully understand where a lot of comic book creators are at right now where they're dealing with like Marvel and DC that, you know, Warner Brothers specifically, that they're using characters that were created by people who may or may not have been employees by the comic book, comic book companies at the time, mm-hmm. or they may have been freelancers. Mm-hmm. And they basically the the comic book companies are saying, well, this was a work for hire. Yeah. So we own all the IP. We own everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's standard for them. Yeah. Where the the people who actually created the characters, they'd be lucky if they get a special thanks to in the credits. Well, unless I, I suppose you're like Neil Gaiman or someone like that. Um, you, you and you have the resources to fight back, but I think yeah, you're right. That's pretty much what happens to everybody. Well, now right. I'm I'm starting to wonder if my Luca Brasi witch hunter story might have legs after all. <laughs> I mean, I had this this great dream where I was in the middle of The Godfather, and it was really kind of prior to The Godfather. You know, when Luca was first making his bones and. What he actually did, that woman that he killed that, that uh, Corleone got him off from him, really secretly she was a witch and he was a, you know, uh, witch hunter that whole time. Yes. <laughs> I like this. You have an interesting mind, Jeannie. <laughs> I, you know, I, hot flashes, they cause fever dreams. It's great. That's a good point. <laughs> so, but Steve, you've actually written other scripts. I mean, you've, you've written a lot of scripts and you've, you've produced some yourself and has, um, have other people produced some of your scripts too? What, what's um, well, I was actually hired last year to write a screenplay based on a true life crime that happened. The murders actually that happened within this family. And um, yeah, we've got, we've got a treatment down for that. Still kind of waiting for the next step <laughs> to, to progress on that. So can't really talk much more about that, but, yeah. uh, but that, that's a full length screenplay. It is a full like screenplay, right? Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was nice to be hired to write something. Uh, it's, it's always uh, nice when someone approaches you and says, I like your writing. I want to pay you money. <laughs> Look, yeah. When they approach you cash in hand, that's, that, that's good. That's the best time. <laughs> so uh, if I may, how do you approach writing a screenplay differently than you approach writing your short stories, for instance, or your novella? Well, Okay, well, fiction writing and screenwriting are two an- two different animals, basically. But in the years I've I've done screenwriting, and, and bear in mind also I've I've judged uh, some screenplay contests like Blue Cat screenplay con- uh, competition, for instance. I was a judge for them, and you know w- when you write screenplays, you have to be extremely efficient because. Every word matters. What what's the primary goal is to have a lot of white space on the page, and you can't spend a whole lot of time elaborating on things. And it's also for screenplays. It's the only thing that you really can write on the page is what's going to be either spoken in dialogue or shown on the screen. So. The temptation, especially for new screenwriters, 
is to get into the characters' heads and tell all about their backstories. They can't do that. So you have to really focus on the characters and make them come to life through their actions and their dialogue. Nothing else. Or, you know, I mean, the other thing would be how other characters, you know, respond to them and, and talk about them. But basically, the character buildup, you can't get into their heads. You have to, everything has to be right there on the screen. And that's very, very difficult for a lot of people to do. I could see the challenge. I mean, I'm thinking of some of my favorite fiction writers. I mean, outside of, yes, of course, we all love Neil. Like a, a Sean and McGuire, Kat Valenti, you get very, very into the heads and neuroses and talking of the characters, but it's that running in turtle monologue. Right. So that'd be much, much harder to say if somebody handed it to you and said, right, take this book and turn it into a screenplay. That would be really hard, wouldn't it? It is. And, you know, talking about writers um, whose work has been adapted, if you look at Stephen King, now there's been some really wonderful movies based on his work, but there's also been some, a lot of really bad movies. And is, is there really such a thing as a bad horror movie? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, either there's the ones that you genuinely hope to get that thrill of horror out of, or there's those that you drink with your your drinks and your chips and you you talk all the way through at MST3K. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. the ones that of his adaptations that don't work, a lot of times it's because the characters fall flat. They they may take his dialogue but you don't get into their heads like he does in his books. And so when you just translate the surface, a lot of the dialogue is really cheesy. And it's just like, okay, human beings don't speak like that a lot of times, but in on the page, you're so absorbed with their character because you know everything about them that some cheesy dialogue can be overlooked because it's part of who they are. Hmm. But characters on the screen. Um, have, <laughs> have you have you have you actually done adaptations yourself or, or only original work? I've done original work. Yeah. Uh, I actually, as an experiment, one time tried to write an adaptation of Stephen King's It. I'm sorry, uh, the Talisman, not It. it ah, the Talisman. Right, yeah. And That's which is Stephen King and Peter Straub. Yeah, I got about I got about halfway through, and then it's like, okay, that experiment was you know it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> So have you actually produced any of your own scripts yourself? Um, short films. Um, wow. It's recently, and I say recently, it's been a few years now, but um, I did a, a short film called Survey, which is set in kind of a fantasy land, if you will. It's it's kind of a out of, out of time, if you will, um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's hard to, to pinpoint exactly where or when it takes place. But it ended up winning like, 20 awards worldwide what? Well, yeah, played in 60 film festivals and <laughs> it's one of those things that you know i did it because i wanted to shoot a fight scene <laughs> and uh ended up creating this whole world around a fight basically is this, is this a short film it's a short, yeah it's a short short like I'm sorry, this is this is the professional in me who is uh -huh. curious. If you get into 60 film festivals and win 20 awards, is there any money coming back to you from this process? Let's see. I think I got... No, actually, it wasn't from that film. It was for a screenplay contest that I won. I got paid 100 bucks. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, most... 
I should say most um, contests. There now there are some film festivals that do uh, hand out cash prizes. Yeah, but most of them, it's just hey, here's here's your acknowledgement, congratulations. Yep. It's um, the exposure, it's the glory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and having gone to some of these film festivals, and and I I run a film festival myself. It, it, you're lucky if you get an audience. <laughs> so, that, that jibes a little bit with what Jordan, Jordan Herden would talk to us about with his uh, Barn 11 productions. He, and he also brought up something, and I wa- kind of wanted to ask the same question because I'm feeling to see if this is common. Okay. And he he's adopted a couple of my stories into movies, and he says, I like them because it's stuff I've got lying around the house. Is that <laughs> sometimes what you think about when you're writing a short screenplay? It's like, how hard would this be with stuff I've got right here? Okay, let, let me let me try to try to answer this. Yes, to some degree, because you have to use your resources. From where I come from, I tend to complicate things a lot. <laughs> and I mean, survey, for instance, I I set out wanting to just tell a simple story of two people sitting in a room talking. Ah. That's what I wanted to do. It turned out to be five characters in the woods ah. with fight scenes and makeup effects and a child actor, costumes. And I mean, it just it, it yeah. became something yeah. completely different. And uh, fortunately, I had a really good team. I mean, the costume, uh, LaVon French was our, my costume designer. She won two awards for the costumes that she did. Wow. And built everything from scratch. It was just it was amazing. So, I mean, I was very, very fortunate that I had a good team of people. And see, that's another another difference when you're when you're screenwriting. It's a blueprint. You know, you you put down what you think you see on the screen and then you hand it off to other people to interpret. Now, in my case, I was directing it so I could take what I saw in my head when I wrote it and try to communicate that to the people that were working on the film so they could use their creativity and bring it to life. As a fiction writer, it's all yours. You can do whatever you want and create whatever world, and it's all on you. And I suppose it's easier if you're thinking kind of contemporary as opposed to when you start something and saying, right, and this was based 200 years ago, and people look at you and say, that's costumes now. Exactly. Well, like I, I was pitching this idea to a guy who ended up acting in the film and he was like, oh, well, uh, because I, there, there was a mention of a caravan, which mm. was off screen. Like, oh, well, we can get um, these carts and bring people in mm. and horses. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> not on the budget that I have, which is nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think it comes down to pretty much. You need to write movies based on what kind of costumes your friends have. You know, <laughs> we have SCA friends. So, you know, if we've got, if we need armor, we've got, you know, 20, 30 people who can just appear at once. But yeah, if absolutely. we want, you know, if we want something from 50 years ago, we're kind of screwed. So, you know. Use your resources. Yes. Yeah, yeah but a lot of the SCA armor is from the very best of the franco Nipponese empire. So. I'm yeah. just saying it's inconsistent. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's inconsistent. So I'm curious about your Melting Man that just came out last fall, your paperback online. Basically, I love noir. 
Absolutely. And it kind of is a little bit of a, a little bit between noir and a little bit of horror there. Tell us a little bit about that one. Um, came up with the title. <laughs> and, uh, okay, well, this would be kind of interesting. Um, where's the story going to lead? It's, it's basically a mix of detective noir and body horror. And if you don't know what body horror is, it's basically anything that shows horrific effects due to whatever contrivance on someone's body. So think about like the Jeff Goldblum film, The Fly, where his body mutates into this half man, half fly thing. The Thing, actually, John Carpenter's The Thing, it would be another uh, example of body horror. I wanted to kind of try to try my hand at, at, so to speak, melting the two together and seeing what I could come up with. I, I really appreciate authors that try to experiment with genres and format, uh, which is another thing that I was trying to do with this, which I didn't know if it was going to work or not, but people seem to react positively to it, is it's told first person by the detective. But then when he comes across the, the you know title character, he tells his story first person. So it's a first person within a first person story. Mm -hmm. Um, is this a novel or? It's a short, uh, short story. It's about 40 oh, okay. pages long. Yeah. Cool. So what are you working on now? I have a cyberpunk story that tentatively titled Electronic Telepathy. Okay. Okay. And it uh, is very promising that it's going to be published in an anthology. Nice. Okay. I like yeah. that. Um, I'm also, I have a high fantasy novella that I'm working on and um, that's been kind of shelved <laughs> for, for about a year because of uh, other things that have cropped up, but um, I'm a good portion <laughs> of the way through, about three fourths of the way through and got to readdress that. So, and sure. then, then this other screenplay, um, you know, when I'm, as soon as uh, things get rolling back up again with that, then I've got to focus on that. Um, we have short stories, we have a, a novella, we have full length and short screenplays no mm -hmm. novel uh that's in the works <laughs> my my goal actually at the end of by the end of the year is to have a novel cool have you started it not yet but i'm what i'm looking at is taking one of my screenplays that i've written that was unproduced and um converting that into a novel. okay reverse adaptation there's a novelization of movies all the time. So right. tell me about, I mean, your process and a little bit of it wants to say, because you guys have been going to the same kind of writing class, what do you get out of it that makes you think, I'm going to apply this? What have you learned? Well, David Gerald is a great resource because he's, well, A, been around for a very long time and he's written screenplays, he's written novels, he's written short stories, he's written, you know, written teleplays for TV shows. Um, written series Bibles. So he's got a wealth of information from a lot of different types of writing. And, but when it boils down to it, good writing is good writing, no matter what format it takes. You know, you, you can take a story and put it into a prose form. You can put it into a screenplay form. You can break it into a multi-episode TV series, but it still go, boils down to structure of the story and characters my screenplay writing friends have this three-word mantra story mm -hmm. is structure 
Yes. <laughs> I have said the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, it appears to be absolutely inherent in any screenplay writing. Yes. But I, I'm a novelist and a short story writer, and, and that's not how it works for me at all. <laughs> Well, at the end, David doesn't says over and over he doesn't teach writing. He he trains writers. Oh, nice! Because he did a lot of those training courses, like Est. And stuff. He he did Est once, didn't like it, and he does the other ones that that okay. are not Est sure. or has done those, and and I find that very useful for me. Um, you know, and, and he will give us prompts. Okay. Sure. And one of his prompts, I actually sold the daily science fiction, Yay! you know, yeah. and, and then one, one prompt he said, or just a reminder or something, he said, start with the emotion. And I've had this story that I know what happens up to a point that it's been hanging around for, for years, like two or three years. And so I, without thinking, I sat down and wrote, I wrote a sentence with the emotion in it. And suddenly I understood what the story was about and what to do with it and what was going on and all the backstory story made sense. And it's like, he just, you know, it just unlocked something. And so that's one of the things I find becoming very useful is it's the emotions and, you know, pretty basically, I mean, the, the story he said was write something where someone is anticipating something about to happen. Okay. And then just kind of, you know, it's just a prompt and it's a prompt with a deadline. And I think prompts with a deadline are just great. Let <laughs> <laughs> me back up and ask a question in there. You guys dropped EST training and I have to admit that I'm being a child of the 70s and 80s. Is there an EST training that you're talking about that is not the touchy-feely get in touch with your spirituality from 1971? I think that's the one. I think that's the one. Um, okay. I, yeah. But I didn't realize See, it had anything to do with writing. Well, no, that's just it. It doesn't. He, he like he said, he doesn't tr teach writing. He trains writers. And it's it's a way to it's it, these are training classes, as I understand them. Again, I'm not an expert. I don't want to take words out of David's mouth, but it's teaching you to be your best self. OK, and so he's trying to get us to be the best writers we can be. That's what he's doing. But he's been through a number of these courses. He's taught. For, for, for self-development. No, he teaches right. them. Yeah, he, sure. Yeah. Well, cut, cutting that aside, let me let me turn that back around and ask you then, Stephen. It was like, what have you learned that has changed how you write from this then? That's a good question. Um, and I'm not sure I can fully answer it. <laughs> the biggest thing that I take from David is he keeps kind of reiterating that to be a good writer, you have to write and you have to write and write and write. And so he's given uh, given us the opportunity through these prompts to force ourselves to sit down and write and focus on the, the writing mechanism and getting words on paper. And through that, you know, kind of analyzing what it is that we're doing and how effective the words are uh, with and, and one of the great things is that we get we have feedback from the other students in the class too. So it's not just David critiquing us, you know. It, it's getting feedback from from our peers, and uh, I like that as well. So it's just it. I think being forced to think about it and finding the time because life tends to get in the way. Yeah, I, but looking looking at your track record, there's no particular evidence that you have struggled 
to find <laughs> time to sit down and write. Oh, I'm always struggling. He's just successful with his struggles, unlike some of the rest of us. Unlike some, yeah. But you're also a creative services producer. You make commercial station promos, so you end up writing all the time, right? Oh, yeah, in a different way, yeah. Um, We have to write scripts for commercials, which are 15 or 30 seconds, and you have to try to boil down a message into something very specific and that's informative and hopefully entertaining and meets the client's needs mm-hmm. and meets our needs as, you know, trying to package, uh, like I said, the message sure. in, in a creative way. Um, yeah. um, do, do, you, do you find that feeds into your own creative work at all or is it stultifying or... It, it's creative in a different manner. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I do video editing and, of course, you know, shoot the commercials and everything, too. So there's all sorts of challenges. I'm, I'm constantly learning new skills and uh, looking at improving my abilities as, you know, in, in a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because there's certain things. I, I'm not, I don't have a background in graphics. Uh, you know, I play around with it a little bit, but that's not a strong suit of mine. And so I'm trying to build that up and, and improve. Right. What, what, what was it? Um, so you see, I mean, you do these two things. You do um, writing fiction, which is, you know, the thing I know, and you do screenplays and filmmaking and yada yada, which is yeah. the thing I don't know. And they seem to me to be two totally contrasting processes because the one is you with your keyboard and the other is collaboration inherently and and lots of critique coming from other people and yada yada and i would hate that so much (laughs) how how do you how do you flip between these two things by trying not to stay depressed (laughs) um yeah it's uh well okay let let me let me kind of back up and put it put in a different perspective if you once upon a time, I worked in what I used to refer to as cubicle hell. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, corporations mm-hmm. where I sat at a computer, did, you know, whatever the data processing or whatever it was that was thrown at me. And it sucked the soul out of me. Yeah. Um, I moved on. I did some teaching at one point. I did some other things. I also worked. My my second job is I, I work for a convention here in Pensacola called Pensacon. I'm the program director for it. And so it basically, for me to go to a, a nine to five, eight to five job and do something that just kills me and then come home, I found I did not have any creativity in me. Mm. And it was a struggle to try to, force myself to become creative. And now at least the job that I have, it's, it's creative in a different way. And, and sometimes it's, it's just, okay, here's what we have to do because, you know, we have a template that we have to kind of plug and play, but it's something different every day. It's not just the same grind where it's, it becomes mind numbing and, so when I get home, it's like, okay, you know, sometimes I need to recharge the batteries, but I can focus on something different in a different manner and not feel like I've just been, you know, drained of all energy. 
So are you a, a notepad person or do you type everything in? Are you a Scrivener man? Tell us the tools of your trade. I do use Scrivener for, um, you know, for, for prose. I use Movie Magic, Screenwriter, although I've, I was forced to move over into um, Final Draft. I, I actually had a screenplay that uh, has won multiple awards and we were pursuing getting it produced. It was called Paradigm. This company out in Los Angeles that we were dealing with um, said that they only deal with Final Draft. So I had to buy Final Draft and convert everything over. And, and now that I have a Mac, uh, Movie Magic screenwriter doesn't like to work with the new operating system with Macs. So I'm stuck with Final Draft. But uh-huh. Is, do you find Final Draft a, a problem? Because um, some people I know swear by it. Well, okay. There, there's a couple of things here. First off, it has become a better program. Hmm. Um, because of competition, because of, I mean, Movie Magic's been around for 20 years and they had things right from the get-go that Final Draft did not have. But Final Draft is the first screenwriting program. And Hollywood is kind of funny in the sense that whatever is the first, Mm -hmm. that becomes quote-unquote industry standard, whether it's good or not. Yeah. Publishing is not so different, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I actually made a, a movie um, many, many years ago called It Came From a Test Tube, and I did it for community access television. Okay. And, um, and but I, it's wonderful, I'm just saying. And he's married to me and has to say that. And so, Yes, I do. And so what I did, I actually had read David's, I think it was The Trouble with Tribbles, and he told how to write a screenplay. And so that's how I learned how to write a screenplay and I actually wrote in screenplay format and everything and, and so on. And my friends and I put this on and it was about um, a monster from space. It actually looked like a, anyway, um, yeah, don't worry. It was, it was, I, I, I actually showed it to a friend of mine who, who watched it very politely. She's a, she's a professional science fiction writer and, and uh-huh. she watched it very, very, you know, paid attention to it and stuff. And at the end she nodded and said, that's very well written. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I don't even pretend that I'm ever going to make do movies again. But that was fun for when I was twenty, which was you know just five years ago. So yeah. So tell us a little bit more about this novel and what advice would you give to somebody who's you're trying to sit down and do writing of any of these things for the first time? Um, okay, well, a couple of things. I'm sure that all of you are familiar with the debate over um, plotters versus pantsers. And I find myself kind of torn between the two. A lot of my short stories, I just sit down and start writing and see where they go because I don't have a lot of time invested into it. So it's like, okay, let's see where this goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, I don't care. You know, it's not like I'm really putting a lot of effort into it. The full length screenplays that I write, however, I, I, outline completely. And I have, you know, because as you were talking about structure in screenplays is extremely important. You know, you really have to hit those act beats Mm -hmm. on the page count, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. in in the business, they will look for that. Um, So trying to structure it out, I want to make sure that I know where the story is going. So with trying to collect my thoughts for a novel, I'm approaching that in much the same way that I'm approaching, that I approach screenplays. 
in the fact that I want to have things plotted out, not to not to the point where um, I don't have surprises because I want to kind of leave a little bit of that wiggle room in there for the characters to come to life and make decisions on their own. But I need to know where things are going and kind of, you know, where the act breaks are. My experience of writing novels, you need to know where you think you're going. I don't know. I, I, I used to, I used to, I used to outline not what was synopsis of a novel before I wrote it, because that's what the industry asked for. And that mm-hmm. way I could get a commission. Um, and and then I wrote, I think it was my third novel, um, and it just absolutely, those characters in that situation would not have done that thing that I had written so carefully in the outline. So it veered quite sharply left. My next, my no, my next novel after that was uh, not conducive to a synopsis at all. It was, I mean, it was, it was a, a mass shooting story. Oh, um, and and basically, you know, sort of shopping mall, characters come in, gunman comes in, some people die, some don't. Thankfully, by then I had an editor who I could say, look, shopping mall, gunman, yada, yada. Um, and she said, OK, just do that. <laughs> but, well, yeah, but you, you'd had a history of turning in novels. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was I was sort of and established it, by then. And if you were writing a screenplay, that would just say, yeah, slug line, right? Daytime mall. I have no idea what it would say as a screenplay. I, I, yes, I, it would I, say daytime mall. Would it, right. Yeah. Um, well, it would. It would say uh, interior mall day. Mm. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. And what advice would you give to somebody if, uh, who wanted to follow in your footsteps and start making their own movies and writing their own scripts? What, okay, what well, would you say? First off, if you feel a passion of writing, write. Don't expect to make money. Don't expect ah. to make a sale. Uh, I spent a lot of time pitching to studios and being told, this is going to win an Oscar, yeah, but we are not going to buy it because blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. Like, okay, thanks. Cool. But we'll read anything else you have. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Thanks. And um, so it, it's one of those things where in screenwriting okay well any writing is a challenge because you have to get it out there and right now we are in a world where we can self-publish that there are multiple outlets not just amazon but barnes and noble and um smashwords and you know Mm -hmm. other sites like that where you can publish and get it out there are you gonna make any money off it probably not with screenwriting, unless you're producing it yourself, you are completely reliant on someone else believing in it enough that they're going to pay hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to have this produced. Mm-hmm. So realistic expectations, but really big hopes and dreams anyway. Right. And, <laughs> but, you know, write, get out there, write. If you like writing screenplays, I love writing screenplays, but it's kind of a go nowhere. And, you know, with, with paradigm, you know, we thought this was going to be produced because of the awards it was winning and, you know, a company out of Los Angeles, I'm not going to say what it was, but they came on board and partnered with us. I've got a producer in Orlando and one in, uh, in Los Angeles. 
And then COVID hit. Investors that I was talking with own restaurants. (laughs) Ah, They just like, yeah, well, we can't do anything because we took a hit. Buildings that got hit by a hurricane a couple, you know, year and a half ago. So I don't. You're the you're the screenplay writer. Is it your job to go and find investors? Uh, no, I'm also the producer on the show. So. Okay, good. No, that's fine. Now, yeah. I, I was lined up to direct, actually, and huh? somehow I got roped into uh, trying to uh, find the investors because I had some contacts. But unfortunately, you know, it's just one of those things where money yeah. gets tight and, it, you know, the world situation changed. And hmm. Well, we may have to have you back to talk all about him. What oh, yeah. it means to be a producer, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't like producing. <laughs> well, we, we will put links to your stories, uh, your books on Amazon, and this fabulous uh, radio play on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Thank you so much for being with us today, Stephen. Well, thank you for having me. It's been really great. Learned a lot. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineers are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking the Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg at manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Scenes, and Arb Street, over in Ukraine. And hey, thanks so much for listening.